This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. The reading is from Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 35. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release these men. Well, one of my favorite quotes comes from a man named Tim Hansel. And Tim uh, wrote a book called You've Got to Keep Dancing. And in it, uh, he recalls his struggle with chronic pain uh, and how he met the Lord there in a very, very special way. And there's a quote that comes from that book, which is one that I recall frequently uh, because I need to. And here's the quote. Uh, Tim says, Pain in life, pain in life is inevitable. Now, did anyone have to tell you that? Do we all know that? That pain in life is inevitable, it's unavoidable, it's a part of, of living in a, in a broken world, it's a part of, a hum, of the human condition. Pain in life is inevitable. But here's the good news. Are you ready? Misery is optional. You see, we don't get the choice whether or not we're going to experience pain in life. Again, that's a part of our experience as human beings on earth. But we do get the choice of how we're going to respond to it. And so pain in life is inevitable, but misery is optional. We don't choose pain But we can choose to be miserable. Or is there an alternative? You know, as we travel down the highway of life and we experience pain, we come to a critical juncture. There's a couple off-ramps we can take. One is the off-ramp of misery, 
And the other is the off-ramp of joy that leads to hope. That's the choice that we get to make as followers of Jesus, filled with His Holy Spirit. The Lord gives us the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. What? Joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Those are things by virtue of the Holy Spirit living in us that we have access to. And so as Tim Hansel says, pain in life is inevitable. Misery is optional. I say as followers of Jesus, let's not choose misery. Let's choose joy. Let's choose the hope that's resonant in the joy, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And really, that's what our passage this morning illustrates. In fact, as Paul and Silas come to Philippi, and they encounter great persecution and great suffering, no doubt tremendous physical and emotional pain, they had to make a choice. They had to choose what they were going to do with that. And it's their choice that determined the course of the Christian movement in history. Do you know that? Our choices can seem so small at the time, but can have a profound impact in our lives. Now, when I was attending Fuller Seminary, my New Testament uh, introduction professor, Dr. Russell Spittler, said this. He says, if you want to understand the pastoral epistles, especially uh, Paul's letters, then you have to understand and be familiar with the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is, if you will, the gateway to the New Testament epistles. And so, for example, this morning, we, Paul, we find Paul and Silas and, and Timothy and, and Luke, the author of, of uh, the book of Acts. They're traveling together as a missionary team, and they're, they've come to Philippi. But to understand the letter that he's going to write later on, as he reflects on this church that he helped establish, you have to understand the circumstances under which the church began. And so to understand the epistle, Paul's epistle, the letter of the Philippians, you need to understand chapter 16 of the book of Acts. Do you see that? Do you see the relationship between the two? So last week in chapter 15, the Jerusalem council met and they decided that salvation was by what? Grace through faith alone. And they settled the question as to whether Gentiles needed to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses in order to become Christians and follow Jesus. And they wrote a letter, remember James, the leader of the council. And he sent that letter out so that the churches would know how to handle the issue of the Gentiles and what was required for them to come to faith. Now, Paul and Silas... They are going back to Galatia where Paul and Barnabas had been earlier and had established some churches. And they're there, no doubt, taking the letter, no doubt giving further explanation and explaining uh, what the Jerusalem council decided. And so as they're traveling and they're there in Galatia, they're praying and they're thinking, we're going to continue the movement of the gospel throughout Asia Minor and into Asia. But the scripture says in Acts chapter 16 that while they were planning those things, the Holy Spirit kept them. The Holy Spirit kept them. 
from going further into Asia. Instead, Paul had a vision. And it was of a man from Macedonia. Now, Macedonia would be representative of Europe, okay, in the southern European continent. And he has this vision of this man that's calling, saying, come, come. And he understands now why the Holy Spirit has kept them from moving into Asia. And he understands that as being the Lord wants us to go to Macedonia. And because of their obedience, and because of their willingness to listen to the direction of the Holy Spirit, they moved into southern Europe, Macedonia, and to this town called Philippi. And so now they're in Philippi. Now you remember the custom of Paul. Whenever he came into a new town he wanted to evangelize, he looked for a synagogue. But in Philippi there was no synagogue. Because there really wasn't a substantial Jewish population there. In order there for there to be a synagogue, according to, to Jewish law, there had to be at least ten Jewish males that were ahead of a household to form a synagogue. And so that gives us an idea of the Jewish population of the town of Philippi. There weren't even enough to form a synagogue. So instead, he hears that there are some God-fearing women down by the river. And they're meeting to pray. And among them is a woman named Lydia. She is from Thyatira, which is a, a, a town there in Asia Minor, Asia Minor, an area where Paul had already been. And she is a, a wealthy woman. She's a merchant of purple cloth. And they go down and begin to share the gospel. And what happens? Lo and behold, Lydia comes to faith in Jesus Christ. She's baptized. And not only that, she shares the message with her family. And the family comes to faith in Jesus. And so the movement of God in Europe begins with Paul and Silas going to a woman's prayer meeting down by the river. Well, they continue to teach and as they're teaching, there is another woman, and she is a slave, and she is a fortune teller. She has a, a demon in her, and that demon gave her the ability to tell people's fortunes. Now, her owner, the slave owner, would use her for profit, because she would go, she would tell people's fortune, they would pay money, he would profit. Now, she's following Paul and Silas, and Timothy, who's come aboard, and Luke, who's also a part of this team, and she's following them, and she's harassing them, but she also, the demon in, in her, is also speaking out as to relationship uh, in regards to the ministry of what they're doing. Now, Paul doesn't want to be associated, doesn't want his ministry to be associated with her. And so he stops, he turns, he calls the demon out. Okay? The authority of Jesus' name. But what happens? Huh. Well, the slave owner, the businessman, he gets upset. Why? Because now the gospel is cutting into his profit, his ability to make money. And by the way, you know what? Where the gospel is active, where the gospel is moving, things change. Nothing stays the same. Some people are drawn, and some people are repulsed. Some people, what, are encouraged, and other people, what, try to stop the movement of the gospel. The gospel in Philippi was bad for business. 
And so the owner of the slave girl, he rallies all the prominent men in the town and all the other business people, and he goes to the magistrates. Now, Philippi was a very special town. It was actually a Roman colony. Now, in, in, in provincial Rome, where there were Roman provinces, colonies were especially privileged cities because they were allowed self-governance. They weren't subject to the same taxation and some of the uh, other harsh uh, aspects of Roman rule. There was more autonomy and independence. In order to rule these uh, colonies, there were magistrates, normally two of them. And they were allowed to make decisions and to enforce law. Okay, And just to remind the people of their authority and their ability to enforce the law... They had assistance. And the assistants would carry bundles of wooden rods that were tied together. And that wooden rod, the bundle of the wooden rod, was a reminder that the magistrates had the authority and they had the means to execute punishment as according to the law. Okay? And so these businessmen come to the magistrates. And they talk about what's going on and how they're disrupting business. Now, about this time, historically, Claudius, the emperor of Rome, has already expelled all the Jewish population out of Rome. And so the Jews in the European continent there are already having a difficult time. And no doubt in Philippi they're aware of this. And now the magistrates are using that for provocation to say, listen, these guys aren't good. They're just like the Jews were in Rome. They're causing problems. We want to deal with them and deal with them harshly. And so what happens? Paul and Silas, who are Jews, are identified and called out from from Luke and Timothy. Now, Luke is a Gentile, and and Timothy, uh, he has a Jewish mother and a, a a Gentile or Greek father. And so because of their, their Greek identity, even though Timothy had both, they left them alone. But the magistrates instead focus on Paul and Silas because they're clearly Jews. And they have them beaten with the rods, with the authority that they hold. And then they have them thrown in prison. Now, I don't know about you, But if I were Paul and Silas, I know how I might be tempted to respond to these events. I would go something like this, okay? I'm going to be really vulnerable with you. I might say, you know, God, I don't understand this. We were about your business in Asia. In fact, we wanted to continue the spread of the gospel in Asia Minor and and moving into other towns. But no, it was your Holy Spirit. It was your fault, God. Your Holy Spirit stopped us. And not only that, you gave us a vision. You gave me a vision. And you called us to come here to Philippi and to preach the gospel. And all we're doing is what you've asked us to do. And now look what's happened. We've been arrested. We've been unfairly accused. We've been beaten. And here we are in prison. Not just prison, but in the innermost part of the prison in stocks. Their legs were in stocks. Let me explain with you what that looked like. The stocks, they would take the prisoner's legs and spread them as far apart as possible. And they put them in these stocks to restrict their movement. 
And so after a little bit of time, the legs would begin to cramp, the back would get sore, there'd be extreme physical pain and uncomfort, discomfort. Now, again, if it were me, I might be tempted to say, what in the world is going on here, God? After all, I'm just obeying what you've asked me to do. How come this is going on? Any of you think you might respond that way? Right? I might be tempted to do that. But instead, what do they do? It says about midnight. Paul and Silas were in prison and they began to pray and sing hymns of praise to God. Remember? Pain in life is inevitable, but what's misery? Optional. Paul and Silas choose not to be miserable. Instead, they choose to be joyful. And with that joy, they find a hope that cannot be found in our own human strength or resource. It's a hope that comes from those who, filled with the Spirit of God, have a sense of God's purpose in their life, whether things are going well or things are going bad. Okay? They know that their hand, that their lives rest in the hands of God. And not only is there joy there, but there's peace. And so as they begin to sing and pray, it says, the other prisoners are listening. Do you know that people are listening and watching us, especially in our difficulties? And they're wanting to see how we're going to respond. If we're going to respond to life's challenges and adversities and hardships any differently than anyone else who doesn't know Jesus. But when we choose not to be miserable, but we choose to embrace God and in the power of His Holy Spirit, we, we ask for that measure of the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy and peace in our lives, that is a powerful testimony. Do you know that shakes things up? That breaks up the status quo. It says there's something about Jesus that's different. There's something about people whose lives are filled with His Spirit that are different. Do you know that? And that's exactly what goes on here in this prison. Because as they're singing, as they're praising the Lord, it says that, that there's an earthquake and literally the prison begins to shake. Now I have to tell you something. When we sing praises to God, when we in the midst of hardship and difficulty decide not to be miserable, but instead to choose joy and the hope, in spite of our circumstances, when that happens, I'm telling you, in the spiritual world, it shakes, it reverberates. And I believe it's a slap in the face against the forces of evil. Because what the enemy intends for harm in our life God can take that, not that He causes it, but He can take that and use it for His honor and glory. And the light shines in the darkness. The light shined in the darkness of that prison cell. And all the prisoners saw the light. And it shook things up. And what does it say? That they were immediately released from their chains and their bondage and the cell doors opened. Now, this is a critical thing here. 
And there's a, an important point to be made. When the Lord sets us free from whatever bondage we're in, He does so not that we can escape and run away, but that we can use that freedom as a powerful witness to Him and about Him, to give Him honor and glory, that others might know that Jesus is alive. And so rather than racing out of the prison and escaping their circumstances, they said, you know what? We're going to find purpose in our circumstances. We're going to stay here, and we're going to give witness. And we're going to use this opportunity to witness to the reality of who Jesus Christ is, and that life in Christ is different than life without Him. And what do they do? Well, the guard, he's going to kill himself. Because in Roman law, if prisoners escape... Right? It's punishable by execution to the guard. And he's saying, listen, I'm just going to fall on my sword right now. But Paul calls out in the darkness, no, wait. And he asks for there to be light in the darkened prison. And they, they bring the torches in and there's light. And he sees that all the prisoners are still there. And Paul and Silas are still there. And then what does he do? He asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Now that was the exact same thing. Remember that fortune teller that was harassing Paul? She was going around saying that they're telling people how to be saved. And so no doubt this, this, uh, this uh, jailer was aware of that. And so he knew that that's what they were teaching. So now he wants to know how he can be saved. And the scripture goes on. And it tells us that he comes to faith. And that his whole family comes to faith. And the next day, the magistrates send someone to say, hey, release them. Release them. But we see in here the way in which through joy and through the hope that joy brings... Because we choose not to be miserable, but to seek the Lord in the midst of our hardship, we see that God does several things. And we see it here in the life of Paul and Silas. Number one, he reminds them of their purpose. That their suffering was not in vain, it was purposeful. That it could yield something, that it meant something. That it could be used by God in a powerful way. The second thing it did is it gave them a new perspective. That while they were locked up in the prison, they weren't a prisoner of the jailer. They weren't prisoners of the magistrate. They were prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they understood they were where they were because God intended to use that circumstance to spread the gospel message. And there is not a circumstance in any of our lives that we will ever encounter that if we surrender it to the Lord, no matter how hard it might be, that He can't use to witness to the reality that Jesus Christ is alive and that life in Christ is different than life without Him. Do you know that? We see that here in the passage. And not only that, that He, he, he shakes things up and He gives us 
a power through His Holy Spirit, a, a power through the joy that we choose to embrace, knowing that no matter what circumstance we're in in life, we're in the hand of God. And God is there with us. And in that joy, there's a hope and there's a, there's a power that comes from the Holy Spirit that allows us to persevere in our faith. And all those things here are, are present in our passage today. And so as you turn to Philippians chapter 4, it's the rest of the story. Remember Paul Harvey? And now the rest of the story. Years later, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and they're going through a difficult ordeal. They're going through hardship. And this was a church that was born in hardship. And he's reminding them of the most important thing. This is called the epistle of joy. Do you know that? And it's a prison epistle because here Paul is reminding them of the hardship out of which their church began essentially with a jailhouse rock or a prison revival. Okay? And here he is in Rome when he's writing this under house arrest. He's imprisoned again. That's why it's called a prison epistle. And what does he remind them of? He reminds them of the very thing that they experienced and witnessed back here in Acts chapter 16. And may this be a reminder to us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? That's a promise. That's a promise. Now, now imagine, you are the Philippian church. You're hearing this letter from the Apostle Paul. Now listen to verse 8 and following. Oh, this is good stuff. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything excellent or praiseworthy, think of such things. Can you see Paul and Silas thinking of such things? that dark night in that jail cell. Think of such things. And here it comes. Are you ready? You're the Philippian church. You're hearing this. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, what did they hear? What did they receive? What did they learn? What did they hear from him? Right? Some of them were in the jail that night. They saw it. They heard it. They received it. It's the foundation of their very church. Put these things into practice and the God of peace will be with you. That's powerful. Finally, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 15, verse 13. He says this, and I want to close the message with this today. But as I close the message, I don't know where you're at. 
I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what adversity you're facing, what hardship you're facing. I know I'm facing some. And I encourage you to pray for your pastor. Pray for your church leaders. Pray for your church staff. Pray for one another. Because God is doing a mighty work in this church. And you know what? There's opposition. The enemy wants to stop it. And God is doing a mighty work in each of your lives. There's a plan He has. And the enemy wants to discourage you and frustrate you and stop that too. We need to be encouraged and prayerfully seek the Lord. Lift one another up. Encourage one another. But wherever you are today, I I call you at that juncture of the road of life where you're encountering hardship or adversity or difficulty or pain, I call you not to go off on the the off-ramp of misery, but to go on the off-ramp of hope and joy. Maybe today, as we sing, as we close, you're going to get up, you're going to go back, and you're going to pray. You're going to have people pray with you. Maybe that's your declaration. I'm not choosing misery. I'm choosing hope today because you need a new purpose a sense of your purpose perspective, perseverance and power to live out God's plan for your life but here it is Romans fifteen thirteen. as you listen to the Lord may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen. Let's pray as the worship team comes forward. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for a church in Philippi that was born out of hardship and difficulty and adversity and yet echoes through the centuries as a church founded in joy. And Father, we ask that our church and the power of your Holy Spirit and the hope that joy brings might be a church that is so filled with the Spirit that as others hear and witness and see us, they will know that there's a difference, that life in Christ is different than life without Him. And today, some of us, Lord, are in a place where we're crying out to you, But today, some of us are in that place and we're saying, we are not going to choose to be miserable. We, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, are choosing joy and the hope that it brings. Lord, we ask these things and pray them in the powerful name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's for his sake. Amen.